Welcome to the K-Pop Cast. I'm your DJ, DJ Peter Lowe. And joining me for this episode, we have indie musician and K-Pop Cast editor, Jenny. Hey, hey. And for this episode, we'll be exploring an undercovered, underappreciated, undervalued, underexposed genre of music, and that's Korean indie. And to help our listeners appreciate this artistry and the paradigm shift that comes with Korean indie, we're welcoming on our special editor at large, Chris Park. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Tell us a little bit about KoreanIndie.com. Korean Indie is a site that's been around since 2011, basically just introducing Korean artists uh, from all genres to audiences around the world. And it's not just like artists in South Korea now, it's actually artists around around the world who are of Korean descent. Cool. Chris, give us a day in the life as the editor at large. What's your role with the publication? So my role is actually the owner. So I pay for everything um, <laughs> and then do a lot of the social stuff, like social network stuff. Uh-huh. I have a day job. So, you know, I have a nine to five. And then after hours, I do this. Mm-hmm. And it's basically checking the email, looking on social to see what new bands are doing, uh, what old bands are doing and finding new music, mm-hmm. and then basically listening to music all day long. When you're getting those emails and when you're looking them over, how do you decide what to cover? I look at everything, I listen to everything. So anything that anyone submits, I will listen to. That's not to say I will cover it, just because there's some stuff where I don't think they're ready for that exposure. And it sounds kind of, you know, I'm gatekeeping it, but I don't want to put certain artists in front of audiences that I think they need more time and they need more work on what they're doing. And I'll email them back about that usually saying that, oh, maybe you should like take some more time and make some more music and then come back to us because I just know our audience really well. Yeah. That's not an uncommon thing. I used to work with a publication called Weird Canada, and we'd have our own standards for what would be the bare minimum before we would cover someone, which would usually be like a physical release or something like that, just so we can show like how serious they are, and then also like taste and stuff like that. But it is hard not to feel like you're gatekeeping sometimes. Mm. Chris, is there anything else you wanted to promote or share with our listeners? The newest thing we did was we actually started a Spotify, not really by choice, but it's just a platform everyone's using right now. So we have a Spotify where I do playlists weekly. So new music, what I'm listening to or what I've heard in the past week. So that's like if someone's coming brand new to the music genres, they can hear a lot of different styles of music. That's awesome. We'll provide a link to that in the show description for this episode so all you listeners can check it out. the manufactured tunes and aesthetics of K-pop, we thought it was important for our listeners to expand their horizons, expand their palettes, and build taste by gaining a sensibility and tease for what else is out there. Thank you for introducing Korean Indie for our listeners here today, Chris. To kick things off, one of our listeners, Reginald Woodson, gave us a very astute question to start things off. He asks... What classifies something as quote-unquote Korean indie? Korean indie is just a term to easily define a style of music. It's like Korean pop, but even that definition is becoming very vague with members from other countries and like how different 
agencies are creating groups. Back when I first started, it was very much like this is music from Korea that's not mainstream. That's how it was defined. Now it's not a very good term to use to describe it, but it's just kind of a necessary term. Mm. So it's not like Korean indie is just independent music. It's rap or hip hop. It's electronic. It's so many different genres that are umbrellaed under indie because they're not under a huge label. I see. I mean, in some ways, it feels just as nebulous as K-pop or Korean pop because it's overarching in the overall styles of brands. But correct me if I'm wrong. Is there like a primarily a difference between corporate and non-corporate aspects? Or is there something else that, that's really distinguishing in the categorization or way we should be thinking about this uh, genre of music? I think in general that it's just indie music. You know, it's just like in the US, like you don't call it American indie or in Europe, you don't call it European indie. It's like signifier or description that people can easily understand mm-hmm. because it's not in the popular country. You know, like America or Europe defines a lot of these definitions. And if you bring it from outside, then it's like, oh, you have to kind of define what it is. Like Japanese rock is still rock music. It's just rock from Japan kind of thing. I see. K indie. Is that term kosher or should we always say Korean indie? K indie was something that was more for like the Twitter universe because you're limited by character count. I see. And also the problem with K indie is like if you use it on Twitter, it also uh, refers to kindergarten <laughs> as, as a hashtag. So it's like it's very hard to use it and not split it. So I just use Korean indie because it's a much more direct term. And we now have 280 characters, so it doesn't really matter anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's the only thing. So it's like, you can use whatever you want. Just know that you might get kids in your stream if you use (laughs) KND. Gotcha. I have a question just about the approach. How are releases handled with Korean indie artists? Like, does it run a gamut from small labels or even entertainment companies or people doing self-releasing, DIY releasing? I was wondering about that. So most releases that I know of are done through labels. They're big indie labels, but they're still smaller than anything else. A lot of musicians, especially electronic musicians, they do everything themselves. They release everything themselves because... They control everything and they know how to produce and mix and master their music. It really depends now, especially because of the internet. Physical media is still a thing if you're a fan in Korea, but mm-hmm. otherwise they're more focused on like digital releases for yeah. consumption everywhere, like Apple or Spotify or Google, mm-hmm. like wherever you can hear it. Yeah, got it. Is most Korean indie music based in Seoul or are there indie music scenes in smaller cities? Seoul just has the biggest one because most people live there, but there's a big punk community, in, which is in the South. There are small pockets of musicians everywhere. Seoul just has like, you know, it's like the metropolitan area. Everyone can get connected to each other. Mm-hmm. So everyone just is in Seoul because that's where everything is. And that's kind of the only reason why you consider Seoul kind of the core of the independent scene because everyone lives there. Got it. So Chris, I heard that Hongdae buskers used to be more singer-songwriters, like less idol dance cover teams, and that there used to be more live venues for indie artists to develop. So I was wondering what venues are there now for indie artists to be discovered? And is there any government funding, a la Hallyu? Or- uh, and this, by the way, comes from our listener Bukoy Brown on Twitter. So it used to be true that there were a lot of buskers. A lot of smaller bands would just get portable generator and hook up amps and play in Hongdae, just like when you're walking down the street. Like when I used to go there a lot, you'd see probably one every 25 feet. And you could see a lot of fans, like grassroots fans around them. I think it was when kind of like Crown Pop started doing their busking everywhere, you know, when they weren't really popular. It showed as another avenue for these idols who weren't popular to kind of get new fans. 
mm-hmm. and that became more common. And then as like pretty boy style of music, where there's a big visual to everything, really good looking guys singing became really popular. That became much more commonplace. So all the kind of the bands who used to do that kind of got pushed out because, you know, you have these big groups mm-hmm. of people just massing around these big areas where no one else can play mm-hmm. as it goes for venues the problem with venues is rent in Seoul is like astronomically high mm-hmm. and Hongdae mm-hmm. itself is getting basically gentrified mm-hmm. and venues, they want to sell these spaces out to like coffee shops or things that are easier to constantly make money. Yeah. So clubs uh-huh. have shut down because of that. And then uh-huh. in terms of money from the government supporting it, a few years ago, there used to be government funding for that, for bands to come um, and tour and it's still there it doesn't exist in the u.s because u.s artist visas are so expensive yeah. and the yeah. roi on bringing an indie band out here compared to like a k-pop group is so different that i don't think they're putting money into bands coming to the u.s but they are putting money into bands going to europe where visas are easier to get or like russia or china mm-hmm. or japan like they'll go there very easily mm-hmm. but the uh, past like few years, like South by Southwest has been the only event where they'll send independent bands because of all the people that'll be there. And then they have a big, good connection with the people who run South by Southwest. Yeah, there's a visa exception for international bands that are going to South by Southwest specifically. Mm-hmm. You can even drive in from Mexico or Canada and you don't have to have the regular P1 or P2 visa for that. That's separate and distinct from the, how do they brand it again? Like the K-pop night out at South by? Uh, they changed the name of it this past year. I I know the uh, guy who, just to be more inclusive. Yeah, I know the guy who runs that whole kind of thing. I don't know if he's still like really in charge of it, but I knew the guy who did it before when it was like there was a tour called Soul Sonic, which brought three or four bands out, and then for South by they had like a mix of K-pop and indie bands, and then I couldn't. They split it even more now because you know the government's putting the funding the money for all these people to come over so they just want to like mm-hmm. get the best ROI they can totally. so it's yeah. like all K-pop or whatnot yeah that makes sense uh, so we had another question from our listener Kazoo Girl who tweeted what are promotional and performance opportunities like for indie artists in Korea if you're talking about promotional by drama OSTs or whatnot they do exist uh, the terms are not very good for indie bands unfortunately mm-hmm. Basically, because they know big companies can walk all over them just because they have the power to do that. Performance wise, I haven't seen any like indie band that hasn't been like kind of brought up by a big entertainment company to perform on like the music shows. People will say like, uh, what was it? CM Blue was like kind of K-pop, but kind of indie at the time. Uh And I heard stories around that back in the day uh, about their music and stuff. And so there's no reason why they would want to do that. And then there was the big thing uh, way back when, when a punk band went on a music show and uh, other musicians came on to like kind of be the crowd on the stage. And they basically took their pants off. (laughs) Oh, I've seen that clip. the infamous, yeah, that that ruined it for everyone. Yeah. What band was that? That was Rux. That's like a, and they're still around. They're still a really good punk band, but like they just didn't care because they knew it it wasn't going to break anything for them, for like in artists there. Yeah. Nothing to lose. Why not? Well, they lost. They, I think they lost a lot. I think some of them went to jail. Real? Oh, right. Because yeah. I was back in the. Yeah. Like, well, that would get censored anywhere, anytime. Still. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely changed the the face of Korean broadcasting from that <laughs> single incident. Knowing the challenges of performance and promotional opportunities, what has the relationship been between artists and supporters? 
every band has like fans mm-hmm. there was a band back in the day called 24 hours who i think they're inactive right now they had a huge group of fans when i was in korea if they played like a couple shows a weekend i go to both shows and i'd see the same fans singing the same songs having tons of fun the bigger bands there's still tons of fans supporting them even smaller bands find the really diehard fans who will help them set up sell merch for them k-pop fans here they're so focused on the actual members that kind of pseudo relationship they have with their personas and when i've seen it in hongdae they'll bring them water or they'll like bring food for them very kind of family style uh support yeah it's interesting because like with k-pop it almost feels like a service is owed, right? Mm-hmm. If not from the the idols themselves, ah, oh, you need to give me this, or I'm expecting this merchandise or this experience. Um, and this is like to your point, it's like, oh, let me help you <laughs> set up and set down. Mm-hmm. Wow. What kinds of events are there? Like, and, and who organizes them? Are they small shows? Are there any indie festivals? Are there promoters organizing these or DIY? Like- um, so event wise, there's usually shows every single weekend from Friday to Sunday, mm-hmm. especially in Hongdae. All the clubs will have shows there are some clubs outside of hongdae that like there's a good punk club called club sharp really underground punk stuff which i love don't they don't release any music digitally so i only see them through youtube videos of other musicians i know who go to record it (laughs) there are kind of pop-up small pop-up shows and then there's also big festivals i think pentaport was this past weekend some people do like smaller weekend festivals there's also a thing called live club day in it's like a small festival for the weekend you buy one ticket and you can see bands all weekend is that like a multi-venue thing okay that's exactly what i was gonna ask i think every club owner is like they're all friends everyone's friends so there's Mm. like we want to do this and bring people back to why people came to home day like to see art and everything which kind of disappeared do you think they're gonna last much longer from my conversations of with friends it's becoming much harder to be a musician most of them have day jobs and they're still making music but as the kind of k-pop becomes more popular and more businesses want other shops or whatnot for these venues Uh it's that kind of withdrawal of creativity coming in that neighborhood which is really sad Mm -hmm. but there are other spots that are kind of starting the problem is is still like the churn of bands is pretty high so it's like bands will do stuff for a couple years and they'll, they'll stop and the new generation isn't coming as fast as it used to be so it's like kind of worrying because i know it's not going to die but i don't think it'll be as prolific as it used to be it's difficult without Mm. like even a small kind of critical mass of people who are already playing people who can go to those shows and be inspired pick up an instrument and with as you said with like spaces disappearing less physical releases it gets pretty hard to do that stuff but just kind of have to hope that art will find a way i guess <laughs> i think it might be outside hongdae in the next like 10 years mm. it's going to be mm-hmm. in other pockets of places cool aside from going to koreanindie.com to learn and discover more i mean how can these fans and listeners support these indie artists to keep them going uh one thing is <laughs> it sounds contradictory but don't don't use spotify mm. um ah. basically they need people to buy their music not stream it uh-huh. And that's like the biggest thing. I was a holdout for Spotify for so long because of that. So I'd always have like links to Apple Music or Google Play or Bandcamp, which they use a lot. Yeah. And just say like, buy their music, even if it's digital, they'll get a, some money out of it so they can keep going. At least if that money just goes to their like band fund, they'll have something. Yeah. K-pop cut ass listeners take note. 
for the artists we're, we're checking out today, you should buy their music. So closing this section of the episode off, Reginald had one last second part of his Twitter question. And he asked, who are some Korean indie artists that are quote unquote must listens? And answering that question, we'll dive into the four corners of Korean indie using a model that listener, what Will said, often employs to introduce music upon friends. He introduces something friendly, something weird, something old, and something new. So Chris, take us away. Introduce us to one of the first corners of Korean indie, something friendly for K-pop or Western audiences. I chose uh, an artist named Hunjia. She's actually LA-based. She's a Korean who is making music basically how she wants. She released an album called Lineage a couple years ago that was kind of a story of her grandparents. She went to Korea to visit her grandparents and it has clips of her grandparents talking. And I thought it was like kind of the most honest kind of releases I heard in a long time. And she released her new album, Look After August, or early this month. I think it was like August 3rd or something. And this is one of the later tracks in the album, but it's basically very kind of pop friendly, I would say. Yeah. But but it has like her perspective 100% on it. And that's why I thought it'd be a good song to, to start with. I love it. When I heard it, I was like, whoa, this is soft. It preserves the rawness of her voice, even though there are a lot of vocal effects that are still filtered onto it. And it's got these big, sweeping, reverbery soundscapes. Though it's still Western friendly, I'm entering into like the dawn (laughs) of an entire new genre at a new playing field. So for me, it was a really welcome gateway. Yeah, there's definitely some twists and turns in the form and with programming that's really interesting. Even though it's singer-songwriter and it's very accessible, like, vocal style, it's still taking you somewhere interesting that you wouldn't expect from, like, a typical mainstream pop singer-songwriter mm-hmm. kind of release. It's all her influences put into one place, mm. still with uh-huh. the connection to being Korean, coming through everything. And she's one of the ones, like, when I kind of got three artists at the same time who I were, like, thinking, there. this is the next generation of, of, like, kind of Korean artists coming out. Unfortunately, mm. one of them decided to take a break from music, and the other one is still kind of churning her stuff and making music right now, hasn't released anything new. I've heard a little bit of her, her stuff she's working on, which is really good, but it's kind of like waiting to see if how she's going to progress from where she started. But I think Hunji has done like an amazing job from where she started. Take us to the next one, Chris. This one was left field, something weird, something different, very unconventional, but 
I have to confess, I loved it. Tell our listeners. So something different was I chose a post-rock shoegaze song by one of my favorite bands in Korea called Mods Dive. And the song's called I Am An Evil, which I don't know where the titles come from. <laughs> Basically, they take you on like an audio journey through yeah. that song. And like shoegaze and post-rock is, because usually there's no vocals, they take you on this whole trip just to the music and it is like ups and downs there is an actual audio narrative that you'll hear through it and they don't care about taking their time which is one of the things i love like some of the songs i've heard are like 12 minutes long and it's this is perfect 12 minutes long it's it's definitely unapologetic post-rock that's for sure Mm -hmm. it's so funny chris because like when i was taking notes listening to this i kept writing and underlining the word journey (laughs) (laughs) in k-pop there's this thing that we affectionately refer to as the uh, quote-unquote Teddy Park effect where you'll have like one genre of music like completely mashed into another one where you've got these two very jarring genres in one song and this one it's like okay I'm, I'm in one place and then it very naturally flows into another place and I am so along for this ride it was my favorite actually out of the four that you shared with us genre has like tons of bands in it. it takes a lot of influences from like japanese math rock and, and rock there but they've put their spin on it there's a bunch of different bands here like there's one band who even takes like korean traditional music kind of influences in their mu- in their style and what they make and then there's the band called jambanai who have been in europe a bunch who use traditional korean instruments to make their music they're just like, encompassing everything that is like being korean in their music and going forward with it. Mm. I think post-rock and shoegaze is, has a very specific audience. Ah, it's not for everybody, I 100%. I would I would say that from the beginning. Like, you might like this. You might think it's, like, waste of time. Uh-huh. But I think if you look listen to it enough, you'll find a band that speaks to you in that genre. Got it. 
Well, take us on to the next one. So something classic, an old standby in Korean indie. Um, so something classic is the song Speed Up Losers by Crying Nut. So Crying Nut is one of the originators of Korean punk in South Korea. They started like mid 90s and they are still going strong today. They still make music and they're still one of the most popular bands. They're actually known by a lot of like idols. And the reason I chose this song is actually this song is a really popular karaoke song in Korea. Hmm. I think it's in a couple movies. They when people are kind of really drunk, they sing it. <laughs> I can see it, that. The chorus is all about everyone singing together. And this is the song that kind of like made them really popular. And it's one of the songs I go back to and I'm just want to listen to something that's fun. And uh-huh. if you're going to start with Korean indie, like this is the song that you should first listen to and be like this is a this is a style of music that didn't really exist that much before and then they just kind of brought it forward yeah I loved this song. I shared it with a few of my bandmates and we were all like really uh, relating to the energy in it. It's very straightforward, fun, poppy, but like they're doing their thing and you can't help but love it. Chris, is there like a a specific message to the song? I mean, you mentioned in the chorus that like it's, you know, everyone's singing along, but I feel like it's trying to tell me something. I'm worried that I'm missing it. If someone like actually knows Korean and they and they listen to the song, I'm probably wrong. But I think it's something about like just being young. Yeah, I get that. And like and like how how things are like kind of depressing and like you know you have to like just trust in your friends and all that stuff. I think it's it's basically a song where like when you're depressed and you want to be happy, you sing this song. Man, this is going on that playlist <laughs> totally. I dig the like the surf wax guitars and. I think it's in the last chorus, or it's approaching, maybe it's on the bridge for the last chorus, um, that you start to hear the vocals come in. But prior to that, it feels like the vocals are being shouted, but from a distance. And like everything is being washed up in the power drums and uh, power chords. I imagine the recording was really cheap, because they, yeah. they probably didn't have any money. <laughs> it, it's it does, not a defect. It it's does the job. That's, that's all you need. Yeah. Okay, Chris, in the last one, the last corner of Korean Indie that you will just tease for our listeners before they dive deeper. Um, so it's an artist by the name of Eddie. It's The song is called Disappearing Ways. I took a break from the site for about a year. When I came back, I put an all call out on our social media for new artists. So I was curious what, what happened in the year I wasn't around. Uh-huh. Um, she sent us an email, listener music, and it's basically, to me, kind of like, I think the next wave of female artists because I think female artists in Korea are becoming much stronger in their voice just because Korea is a very like male dominated society and you know the voice of of females is kind of muted in a lot of ways uh, just Mm. how things are presented and the fact that she did this and it's a mixture of a lot of different styles like kind of uh, effects on everything and she's mixing genres also and so when I listened to it originally I was like oh wow this is like pretty uh, mature for like an early release for her and so now I'm curious like if she can do this as she's building her talents and her skills what will she release next because that's when I listen to music I always listen to what they send but I think about if they move on what can they do next 
Yeah. And if this is like the base, like what she does next will be even more amazing. When I heard this song, I was like, oh, this is good ending credits. So it's like, it's so dope. Um, I love the progressive vibe and, and the, the melody of uh, both the, the vocals and, and, and the instrumental solos as well. Chris, does, is this song indicative of uh, the future of Korean indie? Does it allude to anything that we can expect as a genre or, or more to, to come? I think artists in Korea now are just doing what they want. They're not following any more trends mm-hmm. in terms of like what they know could probably be popular. They're just doing whatever they want. And I think this is a good example of that. She's still using, you know, the styles that people can recognize, but putting her own twist on it. And I think that's what more people are doing is putting their twist on their yeah. music. I mean, like if you're a indie musician, you're not in it to trend chase or go for the popularity necessarily. Like you're doing it because you genuinely love the music. Mm-hmm. You're not going for the the corporate bottom line, but you're there to to share something because you've got a day job. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> it up but you know we've got a little bit of time is there anything else that you wanted to share or discuss or impart i think if you're a first time listener to korean music or korean indie music you have to have a very open mind from what you have listened to before especially for like k-pop mm-hmm. i know k-pop now i don't listen to it as much as i used to but like, k-pop is mixing a lot of different styles now yeah my k-pop days are like girls generation and like tiara and all that stuff mm-hmm. whoever did abracadabra which is like way back in the Bright day eyed girls <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm like an old old like k-pop person when i was a student don't, a lot. don't, don't say that we're, we're not that old those of us who got into the 0809 wave we're not that old don't say that Chris. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty old to be covering music so okay but i think the more you explore you're going to find the artists that speak to you just like k-pop artists speak to you and uh-huh. don't like be discouraged if you listen to something that doesn't make sense or like just has no interest to you because there's usually some style that's in a song that you'll be able to find in like an indie artist not to say it's like one-to-one but there'll be some aspect of that music that you'll find that might be interesting to you so uh-huh. it's like that's what's fun about music is always about discovery and ex- exploration so don't just think these four songs are the start and finish like i've listened to probably thirty thousand songs over my like 10 years of covering music this mm-hmm. way so you'll find something don't worry well, plenty of gems in that Korean indie sea of music that our K-pop cast listeners should go out, venture, and explore, and discover. 
on koreanindie.com. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Uh, where can people find you and Korean Indie online? Koreanindie.com is a very easy website to know. And all our socials are at Korean Indie. Uh, no underscore, just one word. And so we post stuff pretty much every day, at least something new every day, uh, depending on what's on YouTube or on, you know, other artists' social media, we'll share it. And if there's any, like, Korean artist and who listens to your show who wants their stuff covered, come to the website, send us an email. The email's there, and you can all listen to it. Nice. So I'm at DJ Peterlo, and Jenny, where can people find you online? You can find me at Jenny, please, on Twitter and Instagram. It's J-E-N-N-I-P-L-E-A-S-E. And K-Popular, K-Popcast listeners, don't forget to tell us what you learned about Korean Indie. Give us a tweet at the K-Popcast. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thank you.